the veneer of the left, the not-so-hidden agenda of the Biden administration, and the help from our history, all discussed here on today's episode of the show. I'm Josiah Ritson, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Aren't you tired of feeling forced to choose between staying informed and being indoctrinated? Listen to the condensed news cycle without the lies, agendas, and confusion from the mainstream media, all while engaging in deeper discussions about the principles that have influenced our great nation. This is what rescuing America looks like. This is The Glorious Rescue. Welcome back to another episode of The Glorious Rescue. It is another week, another Tuesday, which means another couple more episodes actually per week of The Glorious Rescue, and I'm excited for you to join us here. We have lots to cover as always, but mostly in our end of show segment, trying to shift more focus onto some of the more important issues, some of the more important principles, rather than just getting more frustrated or more discouraged in the day today news. But we are going to give you some of the headlines, some of just the basic overviews of what's going on to keep you informed and all of you as listeners, as well as keep myself informed, obviously, as well, before heading into those segments. So first off, all I'm going to briefly be talking about is just a couple different items, starting with a very interesting piece over at the Daily Wire by Matt Walsh. And when he, what, he, what he argues is, and just to start off with really no announcements, but just jump right in, is in regards to the whole Trump inciting violence and does Trump incite violence. And he doesn't get into the whole opinion or is Trump justified? Is he not? Is what he did right or wrong or even the riots in general? But what he said was, if you are going to matter of factly read Donald Trump's speech and you just read it word for word or you listen to it and you say that he incited violence with that, then you must then make the claim that basically everyone in the Democratic Party has incited violence over the last few years. Think of, I, I personally, I've been thinking about Maxine Waters over the last little bit. I remember when Maxine Waters said just a year ago or so, that if you see one of these Republican Congress individuals in anywhere in public, in a restaurant or whatnot, that you're supposed to, like she said, get up on them and, and basically mob them, basically. She didn't say hit them or anything or strike them or anything like that, but she said press them and, and push them and pressure them. And so, yeah, how is that not inciting violence? But what Donald Trump said, which he actually did say, you know, he wants it to be peaceful and there actually have been confirmed Antifa members and there have also in the riots. And then there's also, if you look at the timeline, some people were actually breaching the Capitol before Trump finished. And those are actual facts. Again, not justifying it. You can go back a couple episodes ago and you can see that I was harsh on it because I don't think it was okay. But if you're going to say that Donald Trump did that in his speech, he incited violence, then you must then argue that virtually every single Democrat in Congress or in politics in general has done so in the last year or two. So there's that update. There's also a brief update on good old Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter. Jack Dorsey is an individual who somehow went just over the last couple of years from like the nice, clean shaven, kind of like your ideal billionaire or, you know, tech company CEO to somehow looking like he's been shipwrecked on an island for the last like five years or 10 years. But anyways, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, who obviously we know Twitter was one of the first companies, was the first tech company or social media company to ban Donald Trump on their platform just about a week ago. And then Facebook followed and there's actually like over a dozen companies now that have done so, Spotify and all that. Poor guy can't even have a podcast now. But he was the first one to do so. And he has finally now come out and admitted, and he does still stand by his decision, but that they did set a dangerous precedent by, by banning President Trump. So he gave this long statement, I think even on Twitter, 
giving different, just giving different statements. And, and he said, this moment in time, this is somewhere in the middle, this moment in time might call for this dynamic, but over the long term, it will be destructive to the noble purpose and ideals of the open internet. A company making a business decision to moderate itself is different from a government removing access. Yet can feel much the same. He said, this is him trying to justify him removing Trump from the platform, basically saying, we are not banning free speech. It's substantially different than the government not allowing someone to speak their opinions, which he is right fundamentally. He is right in the sense that you're not banning free speech for a private company to start to moderate itself. But it is a threat to free speech when that precedent or that rule or principle or whatever you are trying to enforce as a company is not equally applied. And that's the backlash he did get from many individuals. Many individuals saying a lot more people would be more supportive of banning Trump from Twitter if the rule was even remotely close to being enforced consistently. No excuse for allowing literal terrorists, but banning Trump. And that is actually very true. There are little literal terrorist accounts on Twitter right now that are just fine. There are literally horrible and egregious tweets on Twitter that are still there, but somehow Trump's account, as well as tens of thousands, tens of thousands of accounts completely banned or even suspended for being Trump sympathizers, quote unquote. So there were many, there were, there was a lot of backlash from that. And some people, a lot of people on the left praising Jack Dorsey. And while I do think that he understands the dangerous precedent set, like set, like he does say so, I don't think he really does to the full ex extent. I, I think it's more so damage control on his part, him coming out to try to appease some individuals. Now I want to shift over to something more important because we're just barely touched on that veneer of the left, the fake front, the falsities, right? The things that... The left tries to portray that if you really look at it are just simply hypocritical. But now we're going to look at the not so hidden agenda of the Biden administration. Biden was an interesting, an interesting person when it came to the debates or when it came to the election in 2020. What I mean by that is the whole presidential race. What was his platform? What did he campaign on? And to all of my listeners, I want you to think, what did Biden campaign on? Because if I try, if I try to think of what he campaigned on, I actually cannot think of anything. I could maybe say it was anti-Trump. I can maybe say that sometimes he would say he was going to ban fracking and sometimes he said he was not going to. I could see him sometimes say that he was going to tax only people who are making over 400000 and now his tax plan has come out and basically everyone will be taxed more. I could give a couple different points like that, but what I cannot do is actually say what he actually campaigned on, what his actual policies, beliefs were other than anti-Trump. We know that. That was kind of one of, our, one of the big things pointed out. And so the question was, what is his campaign going to be? Is he going to try to be that candidate? that he tries to give off as this moderate candidate, or is he going to have that more radical, which I think all conservatives thought he was going to have this more radical agenda, which most definitely is prompted by Democrat control of the House and the Senate. So a couple different points to take away from this. First of all, you're going to have companies or countries or really everyone in general start to take advantage of Joe Biden. If you remember, there was the whole hostage, hostage situation when Carter was president. And when Carter was president, Iranians held hostages for hundreds of days. And yet when Reagan was elected, his whole throughout his whole election or campaigning, I should say, he made it very clear that that will not be tolerated. And the day Ronald Reagan was inaugurated, the Iranians let those hostages go. We have the exact reverse effect with Joe Biden. Because again, they are assuming that countries, foreign countries or companies are assuming that he's going to have a similar policy in regards to foreign affairs, as his president, Barack Obama, did when he served, Joe Biden did as vice president. So, for instance, the Iranian government, they've taken a significant new step towards atomic weapons. This is this is sad. This is unfortunate. 
but it is because of the lack of leadership and the weak portrayal of America that the Iranians see when they see Joe Biden as president. So what is this exactly? This is taken from specifically the International Atomic Energy Agency, and they have given uh, the media a report on Iran. And what this report found was that, literally matter-of-factly, Iran is assembling gear able to produce key nuclear weapons materials. What it is specifically is they are starting to develop the key components of a nuclear warhead. Yes, literally delving into the development of uranium and creating what needs to be created for those nuclear warheads. This is a step for, for Iran to be able to go nuclear, something that America does not need to see happen, but unfortunately will see happen. If, as Joe Biden continues to portray America as a weak nation on the foreign playing field, basically. And probably the, the really unfortunate part about this is, th is that really the reason or how the Iranian government was able to build these nuclear warheads is probably from the pallets of cash, the billions of dollars that Barack Obama sent Iran just a few years ago. Now, more individuals taking advantage of the Biden administration, I guess is a way to say that, is U.S. unemployment numbers starting to rise rapidly. And this can be attributed to more COVID spikes in the winter. It could be more layoffs. But really, I think it's generally going to be the theme of the administration is uh, more government nanny care. So, for instance, just two weeks ago, the number of unemployment claims was 181,000. Now, think about it. That is a lot. That is still almost 200,000 people in our country applying for unemployment just in one week. But it rose from 181,000 to 965,000 just last week. The Labor Department said this on Thursday that there were almost a million, almost one million applications for unemployment. And I do think this is going to be the running theme in the Biden administration is, again, that nanny state taking care of its citizens rather than creating an opportunity of freedom for all of us to make our own decisions. So now that we've kind of talked about what everyone else is going to be doing while Biden's president, let's talk about what Biden specifically is going to be doing while he's going to be president. And that is on the very first day he has announced on the very first day that he is going to work on proposed legislation and give a piece of legislation to, to Congress to give citizenship to 11 million illegal aliens, undocumented individuals. The 11 million individuals who are here on U.S. soil illegally, he's going to have a pathway to citizen, citizenship for. Not the people who have come over here legally who are already going through the process. That's They're already going through the, the process of amnesty, of, of becoming U.S. citizens. But the 11 million people who are, who are here illegally are going to be given a pathway to citizenship. It is five years for you to be able to get like your ability to live here and your, your residency actually is the way to say it. And then after that, three more years to get your citizenship. Oh yeah, and did I mention a uh, $15 an hour federal minimum wage? So that's what we got coming from Joe Biden. I'm not really going to discuss too much on that because I think where we we know where we all stand, but that's not uh, $15 an hour minimum wage doesn't sound too scary for me as I live in California. But remember the the federal minimum wage is $7.50 an hour. He wants to double the federal minimum wage. He also wants to grant uh, citizenship to 11 million undocumented illegal aliens. And the problem here is not whether or not they should be given a path to citizenship. Citizenship. It is the fact that there's now no debate over it. And this is a recent conversation I was having is, is how over the last year, the only thing we've been talking about politics is really the election and COVID. And that's literally it. That is what the last year of political dialogue has been in this nation. The political dialogue and the extent of political dialogue in our nation for the past four years has been Donald Trump. That's literally it. Pro, anti, 
Donald Trump? Where do you stand? But there are so many more important issues. There are so many key foundational issues that have not been debated, haven't been discussed, and that you don't really see brought to the forefront at all. You don't hear any any talks about pro-Second Amendment, anti-Second Amendment gun control. You don't see or you haven't seen any discussion on anything economic, whether it's minimum wage. No one's discussing minimum wage, whether it's good or bad. No one's discussing anything economical, capitalism versus socialism. Yes, you can see the principles and the contrast of Republican versus Democrat fighting over these key issues, but you don't really see any debate over them. Abortion, gun control, minimum wages. No one's discussing these items, foreign affairs even. No one's discussing the actual issues. What they're just discussing are people, Trump, pro-Trump, anti-Trump. Which side are you? And so because of that, there has been such a lack of discussion, lack of debate over these key issues. So Americans have not really been given any information or really haven't engaged in any discussion back and forth to the point for for the last several years, because it's all been anti-Trump, that now that we have Democrat control of all the branches of government, basically, I mean, not the judicial, but I'm talking about uh, House, Senate and president, that now they're just going to be running over whatever they want, whatever policies, radical or not. Uh, really taking into any consideration of whether or not this is what the people want. They think that just because they're in power, just because they're in the seat, they get to put out whatever they want. Now, I'm not going to discuss anything really further other than the fact that I'm not saying that even granting citizenship to the illegal aliens, those individuals who have come here illegally or undocumented individuals is wrong. What I'm saying is we haven't even discussed it. There's actually a lot of discussion and a lot of opinions on how we ought to go about this even within the even within conservatives and it's all is actually very legitimate and very honest open discussions for instance i think what is generally speaking the general consensus is to build the wall as far as conservatives build the wall so that's step one building the wall and then from there then all of the individuals who have committed crimes people who have done so who have done a lot of wrong after after they've come over here deporting those individuals again deportation for the actual criminals just the criminals i'm not talking about everyone here who's traveled over here illegally is a criminal but just the criminals deporting those individuals and now you have a large number of individuals and now we have an honest discussion about what do we do with these individuals obviously the people who come over here legally are on their pathway to citizenship but the people who've come over here illegally who are undocumented now what do we do with these individuals because a lot of these people are good individuals just trying to escape systems um, but we also do have to have good processes and good systems in place. And so those are these are discussions to have. These are discussions that need to be had in our country, and yet they're not being had. And they're not, not even being discussed at all because the last four years has just been Trump, Trump, Trump. Anyways, I'm not going to spend more time on that because we've already spent a lot of time on a lot of things that are not as important as what I want to get into. And that is a segment of the vast past. Welcome back to another segment of the vast past today. The segment might seem a little bit scattered to you. That is actually intentional. The goal is not to go through one certain theme, one certain event, but actually what I want to do is just go through some fundamental, some important quotations throughout United States history. So they're on a wide variety of topics. We're kind of going chronologically through these individuals. It's kind of more historical going from previous to current but just know that this is on a wide variety of topics. We're just going to talk about them, kind of get an insight into our history, what people believed back then and how, how, how what, what has changed and how so much has changed over the last 250 years or so. Again, like I said, it might seem a little bit scattered, but that is the intention because it is on a wide variety of topics, but just to kind of give us an insight into our history and the people who lived throughout our history. So first, first is going to be good old George Washington. 
And we're going to start off with, with a little bit of a doozy here, a little bit of one that's a little bit harder to understand. George Washington says, I have no other view than to promote the public good and am unambitious of honors not founded in the approbation of my country. Very simply put, he's saying the only view he has, like, like it says here, is to promote the public good. What is good and what is that good? And studying the true, the good, the true, and the beautiful, and applying that to the public good, applying it to the systems of our government to develop a good system. And again, he says he's unambitious of honors that aren't for that cause. He's saying that he is not ambitious. He's not trying to attain the honor of himself. He's not trying to attain the honor of anything if it is not simply for the good of our nation. Basically, the point to take away is that we know George Washington was a good man. I do believe he was a Christian. And so he's even saying that he believes that his Christian faith, what he would consider his utmost duty, his utmost pursuit is even good for the country. Next, Patrick Henry. And we have talked about this in, is in an entire end of show segment is, is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what other cor- what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. In fact, I think that's what on, what is on the hat right behind me is live free or die. And it's from Patrick Henry saying that is peace so sweet that we're willing to sacrifice peace for to enslave ourselves and our posterity. He also said, should I keep back my opinions at such a time through fear of giving offense, I should consider myself as guilty of treason towards my country. Basically saying just because if I'm so concerned about not offending anyone, that I hold back my opinions, that I'm basically guilty of treason against my country. Because if I believe these opinions are what are going to save my country, then why would I hold them back just because I'm afraid of giving offense? That is guilty. That makes me guilty of treason. John Adams said, My country has contrived for me the most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. Talking about the vice presidency, this is humorous to me. He's basically saying the vice president is the most useless thing that any man has ever been able to conceive with his his imagination. And it really kind of is true. The vice presidency, the whole theme of the vice presidency is kind of like nothing indefinitely, but everything in an instant. Yeah, that you can be everything in an instant, but you're kind of indefinitely not very significant. And that has kind of changed a little bit. But generally speaking, the vice president does not do too much. And then Thomas Paine, which we know Thomas Paine, his quotation is what we reference as the theme and even the name of the show. He says, what we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Kind of true. There are some applications where you could say that this is false. Supply and demand is kind of what he's trying to argue here, but he's saying if we obtain something so cheaply, then we're not going to hold it very dear. Talking about liberty. And when liberty becomes so usual, so casual, and it becomes such a normal and everyday occurrence, that is when we risk losing it because we do not esteem it very dear in our lives. Thomas Jefferson, just to give a couple of his, he said, I I quote this one often, educate and inform the whole mass of people. They are the only sure reliance for the preservation of our liberty. The the idea that you, a, a country, I should say, a tyranny, a government, cannot strip away the freedoms of an informed people. People who are informed and are very well understood and versed in the area of their own liberty and the principles of the founding of their nation cannot have their liberties be stripped away so easily. He also said, I've sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. This is actually the quotation that's on the back of my glorious rescue shirt that you guys have seen on the show here before. I, I like it for many, for many reasons. 
One of the reasons is because it's a resolution. It's a very resolved decision. He's sworn upon the altar of God. It's very serious. He means it wholeheartedly. And then again, the idea of hostility against every form of tyranny. It means that he believes that there are multiple forms of tyranny. It could mean that he believes that our vastly oversized government, our bureaucracy, the bureaucracy, the rise of a government that is unelected by its people is a form of tyranny. I would argue that he would think that the, bureau that the bureaucracy of our nation today is an exercise of that tyranny. James Madison said, I think we should obtain the confidence of our fellow citizens in proportion as we fortify the rights of the people against the encroachments of the government. How are we going to gain the trust of the people? It is going to be in the exact proportion to how much we protect the people's rights from a government. Alexis de Tocqueville, we know that he was the individual who came here in our nation back in the 1800s, traveled all across our nation and, and found that the really the source of America's greatness was our pulpits, that the pulpits were aflame with righteousness, that he's the individual who stated that. But he also said that the American Republic will endure until the day Congress discovers that it can bribe the public with the public's money. Very, very applicable to what we see today. How long will our Republic endure? It will be as long as and until the day that Congress wakes up and realizes that we can get whatever we want if all we have to do is bribe the people with their own money, their own tax dollars. Unfortunately, it is something to see. It is something that we are seeing growing more and more popular in politics. Abraham Lincoln, no man is good enough to govern another man without his consent. We talk about this often, self-government. We've actually talked about it in the last couple speeches over the past couple episodes with Thomas Jefferson and Ronald Reagan. We know that Man is incapable of governing himself perfectly. That is why government is, is set up, but no government is perfect because, again, it's run by people. So there's no way that any man is given the right to govern another man without that individual's consent. Another one from Abraham Lincoln is, I don't know, and this is where we'll end off, and then we will pick up this and continue this remaining segment in our next episode. To make sure, to, So make sure to tune in there on Friday on any platform that you listen in on, but Abraham Lincoln says, I don't know who my grandfather was. I am much more concerned to know what his grandson will be. Very interesting. I think it's also the uh, the American idea that it doesn't matter what where you're from, what creed, race, uh, nation, religious, religious creed, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you're from and what descent line you come from again, but it matters who you are. And the principles that you inculcate in your life and the principles that you develop for uh, in your home and for your children. That is what truly matters in our nation is getting back to those principles, those principles that have founded our nation, the principles that have sustained our nation and the principles that will continue to rescue our nation. If those are principles you agree with and a theme you agree with, I would hope that you would continue to share this episode, continue to share the show with others. It is always greatly appreciated and we will pick up more of these quotations in our next episode. So make sure to tune in there. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josiah Everton and this is The glorious rescue.